Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Tears of Assume. Pray, Pray for, for us. us. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, you said Lucie, and I, be, I believe it's Lucie. Lucie. Did I ever tell you the, uh, the Descartes story with Father de Gaulle? My, <laughs> no. My first year in seminary. It was a philosophy class. <laughs> and uh, I asked to like, look at how smart I am question. I referenced Descartes because I'd read a little bit of philosophy in college. And he just looked at me quizzically. He's like, uh, uh, I beg your pardon? He's like, Descartes. Uh, <laughs> it's like, Rene Descartes? And he goes, oh, Descartes. Descartes. <laughs> said it all French. Like, you're kidding me. <laughs> did you feel like a zero? I did feel like a huge zero. But it was exactly what I needed. I'm sure that's what was it. that was his intention. Father de Gaulle wanted Could you to imagine to humiliate me. <laughs> Literally the kindest man I've ever met. Yeah. Hey, I'm noticing yeah. my my waves are not wavy. I just have a straight line. You're waving to me. I got yeah, you got waves here. Oh, I'm I'm wavy on y'all's. Are y'all's mm -hmm. wavy on your own? Yeah, yeah, I got waves. Oh man, see, I'm just flatlined. I'm a, I'm uh -oh. a zero here. Mm -hmm. But if y'all got waves, Connor, do you have waves? I have waves. Will Will it record? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Your health check passed. Okay. My health check passed. Dude, it's a tsunami of of noise. I don't I don't like when technology updates. You know? Yes. <laughs> I realize that we need it too. And you take for granted once it's been updated, especially like technology that existed before you were born. You know? Listen, Three Dogs North hasn't updated. That's, That's true. so true. We haven't done anything new in the seven years we've been at this. That's very true. Man, that's awesome. Well, one I'm, time. I'm proud like, of that. Like six months in, we got decent microphones that was the only thing we updated that's true yeah mm. yeah yeah well that was us being with the times you know yeah we and shouldn't it, we shouldn't have done that <laughs> 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 yeah, well no dude we just we found like hey this is as far as technology is going to give us an advantage and mm -hmm. now we're done that's it. like the amish well yeah yeah we just chose a random period in the technological age and drew a line in the sand. Could you imagine a new Amish, but we're, we just chose a later age? That's kind of what the flip phone thing is, I think. You know, when mm. people get flip phones. Mm. I know a doctor who still has a flip phone. I know a wow. priest that has a flip phone and doesn't text. Yeah, and definitely doesn't listen to any podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I always think of uh, Homer when he finds out Flanders has an internet business and he's looking up <laughs> how to start one and he's got his typewriter out. He's looking it up in a world book or something. Internet. It's like, oh, they have the internet on computers now. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, have I ever told you guys my favorite Father de Gaulle story? No. Oh, man. Well, I have two. One, I had to, I felt like one year, maybe we were in fundamental theology with him, and I still felt like, I mean, we got to give a shout out first and foremost, I guess, to Michael Brungart, Father Michael Brungart, for his study guides that probably got me through seminary. Wow, um, absolutely. But I did feel like in this one instance, I was like the hero of Christmas for our class because somehow I was delegated to go and like meet with Father de Gaulle about his final. And because like, I think no one understood even the questions that he had posed like for the study guide. <laughs> and, but I knew if I went and hung out with him, he would just give us the answers, which was awesome. <laughs> and it was amazing. So I went and hung out with him for like, 45 minutes in his room and it was just pretty much him being awesome. He told me like the history of cappuccino, which was invented by a capuchin monk. That was cool. Um, anyway, really just a delightful guy, but I had read at some point in seminary, um, what's the name? Dietrich von Hildebrand, uh, the guy that Hitler hated so much, the Catholic Mm -hmm. theologian. And I was like, just very curious about him for a bit. And so I asked just randomly at lunch one day, Father de Gaulle sat down and I asked him, I was like, hey, Father de Gaulle, have you read much of uh, von Hildebrand? Like, do you know much about him? And of course, like somehow he, he said this very humbly, but he was like, oh, yes, I used to, um, I used to smuggle his books behind the iron curtain because I thought his theology was so important. And he just told me this whole history of von Hildebrand and he used to smuggle his, his works behind the iron curtain so people could read him. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I wanted you to say. That's perfect. <laughs> yes. In other words, I have read some of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you too. Okay, cool. Yeah. Me, same, same. Um, Guys. Yeah, I remember going to his room to record the intro to this podcast. Uh, Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective. I, I think I, I may have told this story before on the podcast, but um, I tried to explain to him what a podcast was and what it was for. <laughs> it's like an internet radio show, and this will be like our intro. I'm going to put music behind it. He's like, I said, I'm happy to... Uh, let you edit it if you if you don't like the words or anything. He, he didn't even read it. He just goes, "No, I I'm sure I trust your intuition," and he just read it aloud once, and that was it. That's the first time. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Gosh, I'm so glad that he does our intro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I could. I've I've looked on my computer to try to find just the the bare audio of him saying it in case we ever have to like use music that's not someone else's music that like to make another intro Mm -hmm. although we shouldn't because that's updating our technology we should just continue doing even if it means we get sued (laughs) (laughs) from all the money we've made from t-shirts on this podcast (laughs) that band is probably going to want to get some some of that sweet moolah well hey i had an idea that i read recently in a book that I've been mulling over and I want to throw it out to you guys. Cool. Very quick though. I actually, should we throw out to the fans that we're considering discerning really if we're going to do t-shirts again? So are we looking for ideas or no? Sure. Yeah. If you have a good t-shirt idea in time for Easter, 
Oh, dude, that's a great idea. <sighs> There's so many themes that you can play on too. Mm-hmm. Just because the year has been chaotic, and problem is, I'm gonna need to get it designed, which that always, you never know how long that'll take. But if you have a cool idea for words, or if you are a designer and want to design a Three Dogs North shirt, holler at your boys. You yeah. see them in the street. L-U-K. Let us know. I also, Ooh. before you drop your knowledge, Mike, uh, I'm going to put in the description links to videos we made here at the coffee shop, um, music videos of some of the songs I've written with... Uh, Daniel Sayuni, a uh, missionary, plays percussion, and uh, Celeste, one of my students, who sings harmony, and they turned out super great. I like them a lot, so I was going to share those with the listeners as well. They're called the Core Coffee Sessions. I had an idea a few months ago just to... I wanted to do some live music, but we can't because of pandemic, so this was the next best thing, and I got a buddy from Blue Island to do it, Kevin Brown. And they turned out really, really great. So I will say every time I hear of somebody named Kevin, I think of Home Alone in a positive way. Kevin! (laughs) Shout out to you, Kevin. Sounds awesome. Yeah. And if you design our our t shirts, we'll pay you close to nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But when you die, you could receive full consciousness. So keep that in mind. (laughs) Got that going for you. Okay, so I've been reading this book. Is that are we good? Those yeah, are all, all of our ads. after mass announcements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, so I've been reading this book by Viktor Frankl, "Man's Search for Meaning." Are you all familiar with it at all? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It's tremendous, dude. Uh, strongly recommended. Um, and the idea behind it was well, it, it's. The version that I have is broken down into two parts. The end part is where he kind of explains his um, his therapeutic technique, which he calls logotherapy. And the first part is his accounts of really studying himself as a subject. Uh, he was a psychologist uh, before uh, being taken into the concentration camp. So he lived during World War II, early 1900s. And he reflects on himself and his own experience as a psychological subject to try and figure out why he or other guys survived the concentration camps and and why others didn't. And he comes to this kind of primary point, and maybe in a lot of ways it it affirmed what he already intuited with this logotherapy, that this logos, the the word, or he kind of translates it as meaning, is if, if man has a meaning and a purpose in his life, then he can get through he can get through anything that it's substantial enough to support him through significant hardships so that he always has something to strive for and always has something to live for um and so i think his big phrase that he he takes from nietzsche is um if you have a strong enough why you can deal with any what or any how so it's like if you have a strong enough reason um, the sense of meaning, then you can really endure anything. And it's, I mean, it's super, super beautiful book. Um, he was a Jewish man, um, but it's, I mean, it's 
some people consider it like a, a work of spirituality because he does talk a lot about his his Jewish faith and what his faith in God meant for him there. But one of the things that he throws out in the book, and this is this idea um, I want to propose to you guys and, and just see your thoughts because I think I, I somewhat agree with it, but um, it's also really different than than a lot of ideas that that we would probably talk about today. But when people were really suffering in the concentration camps um, and they could tell that certain prisoners were declining, that their, you know, their companions, that they were going to die because of lack of food, lack of sleep, um, just giving up on life. They didn't have a sufficient meaning to continue to push forward in the suffering. They could all kind of tell within the concentration camps and they would, one big indicator was guys would start giving away their food for cigarettes so that they could smoke cigarettes and just like enjoy their last couple of days instead of using cigarettes as like currency to barter, to get more things that will keep them alive. They're just doing the, well, I'm just going to enjoy it while I got it. And he said, you could really, really tell as these guys were kind of dipping into the darkness of, of giving up hope on, on life. And in one of these really big instances when misery was just uh, like taking over this camp, um, I can't remember who, his, he had an acquaintance, uh, an acquaintance that brought a lot of the prisoners together and essentially tried to give them like a, hey guys, we got to hang in there. We got to keep fighting. We got to don't give up kind of a deal. And he invites Victor Frankl to come forward and to say some words to the guys because he had done some individual work and uh, some of the caretaking with the patients, and he had seen that it was effective. And Victor Franco gets up, and, and his pitch for a lot of these guys to not either give up on life or, I mean, a lot of them contemplated just straight-up suicide. Um, yeah, and there were horrible rules around it. Like the Nazis, if they found somebody committing suicide, like the prisoners were disallowed from doing anything to stop them. So, like, they, they couldn't cut... Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. horrible stuff. So they just encouraged death, and it was just a whole part of the the air that they breathed down there. And so the guy invites Frankel to come up and kind of say some words to, yeah, maybe like bring some life back into into these prisoners. And one of the main takeaways that he presents is that he didn't try to explain to the prisoners that that life had something more to offer them, but that he actually kind of flips it. And he says that, no, you need to stay alive because you have a responsibility to life. Like you have something that life needs. And if you neglect that duty, that responsibility, then there's something about like life and existence that's actually going to be empty. And I guess it ended up being really effective, but I mean, that, that's like the general layout of, of the idea. Um, but I thought it was an interesting take on it because I mean, like the, generally the way that I go about my, my day to day life is what can I get out of life? And his whole thing was like, no, 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 you actually have to stop thinking like that about really, I guess, kind of a self-centered type view and actually start thinking about, no, you owe life something. And I know that's kind of putting it a little bit strong, but 
um, there's things in it that I agree with and things in it that I disagree with. Um, but apparently it was super duper effective. It just, I got, yeah, I wanted to hear y'all's thoughts on, um, do people owe life something? Do people owe existence something? Hmm. Well, what is it that you, when you say, yeah, if you don't mind, like, those things that you disagree with and disagree with, what were you thinking mm-hmm. there? Well, um, I guess I like my modern pushback, my modern knee jerk reaction or maybe postmodern knee jerk reaction is like, I don't know anybody, anything, you know, like I don't, I'm, I'm free. I can choose to do what I want and more that modern notion of freedom even if it is a freedom to do what I ought to do, you know, that's still, still essentially my choice, my responsibility. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of a, a superficial knee jerk reaction, I guess. But, but then the things that I really agree with is that, um, I think it is true that people owe, owe existence, owe, owe creation, they owe life something. Um, and I guess the more that I think about it, the more it sounds like a really specific way, a really cool way to talk about the uniqueness of each individual. Um, and he brings it and ties it into a lot of relationships in, in, in the books. So relationships with people that you love and care for is part of the responsibility that you bear in life. Um, that, gives you sufficient meaning to continue moving forward. And so, you know, for example, like if you love your daughter very, very much, then you're her dad. And if you leave like this responsibility that you have in life, nobody can fill that. It's only you. And so it's kind of a cool way to speak about the uniqueness uh, and the value of, of each individual. Like, no, 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 there's a role that you fill that nobody else can fill. There's a, a relationship and a responsibility that you have that is uniquely given to you. And, yeah. and, and nobody else can fill that. And so it actually makes you consider like, okay, well, I do care about my daughter. And because my daughter needs a dad, I need to fill that role. Hmm. That was Frankl's and I, and I, thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how he, he kept himself human through all that because he didn't yeah, even know and, if they were still alive but mm-hmm, the idea that yeah. they might be meant that he had well, a responsibility to just try to stay alive too yeah and and a big motivator for him as well was this idea of developing his logotherapy that he mm-hmm. found it to be a super important idea and he wanted to make sure that it he called it his his brain child that it became real. And when he came into the camps, they took his whole manuscript and they ruined, they, they destroyed it. So there was no evidence. There was nothing left over from all of this, these thoughts and all of these musings that he had about something that was really important for people. Wow. <clears throat> it makes me think of a couple of things. One is, uh, like I said, uh, before we recorded the book club, i in with the students were reading He Leadeth Me by Walter Chisek. Mm. And he has um, 
reflections when he first goes into Russia and basically can't serve as a priest. And he had all these ideas of how he would be helpful and useful to people. And just gradually he becomes more and more aware of his uselessness. And um, like when he's first in the work camp with the fellow workers, he's not allowed to, he's too afraid that if he reveals himself as a priest that the soldiers will not let him now it's illegal to proselytize and so him and his fellow priests like sneak away and say mass in the in the middle of the night in the woods mm-hmm. and stuff like that but then he gets taken prisoner when the nazis attack russia and they just round up everybody that they think might be some kind of outside spy and he's thrown into this big crowded prison and he tells a few people that he's a priest and he's surprised to find out that they all believe the Russian propaganda and think he's a parasite who takes pennies from old ladies to get rich and like all the propaganda that the that the communists had said about priests and capitalist sympathizers and stuff like that. So even the people he came to serve don't see him as valuable, kind of reject him. And then he's thrown into solitary confinement because he's he's accused of being a Vatican spy and so he can't even say mass. He can't do, do anything. And he, um, well, one is he, he realizes that part of what's kind of poisoning his soul is what he, what you were saying about like self-focus, he calls it the admixture of self self pity into his reflections on the Lord's will and, and what's going on that he's looking from outside of himself at himself and saying, Oh, you poor thing. You know, you, you came here to do these good things and all these people are being mean to you and they don't even appreciate this loving sacrifice you've made for them. And, um, that at every stage he, he goes back to the principle and foundation of St. Ignatius cause he's a Jesuit to praise reverence and serve God. And to, by doing this to save your soul, that that's the point of everything in life and that that it's never impossible to do that and he just always had to go back to like what are my what are my circumstances right here and right now that god is calling me to do that and it's never impossible and it's the giving up the despair is when you you sort of like think oh well it's impossible to to fulfill my purpose it's impossible to and, and that's the I think the paradox is like you owe life something is not just this God created you to do chores. It's that by doing this, you save your own soul that actually getting something out of life is only really possible when you put something into life, you know, but if we just remain kind of like this childish attitude of like, I came in here and I want, 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 and gimme, gimme, gimme. And if I don't get what I want, I cry. Um, that sort of a, a more grown up mature attitude is to provide for others and, and to create and, and serve so that others may live and enjoy and be happy. And that's what makes you happy because, um, also reading Corbone with the seminarians, the the whole analogy of the river of life, the kenosis of God, Mm -hmm. everything exists because God is, is generous and he opens up his perfection, his fullness of relational love so that we may be included in it. And it flows out of him 
but it needs to return back to him in order to get back to its source. And so Jesus's commandment, whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, is uh, it's a prudential maxim in the sense that like this is this is just true life wisdom. If you try to save your own life, if you try to look at life and the world as just like a, a big fountain for you to drink from and try to fill yourself up, it, you'll always be thirsty. So give your life away and you'll find that you tap into living water that you'll never thirst again. You know, if you die, you will rise and live forever. Um, but it's more than that because it taps into like the the whole essence of of God and what it means to be human as made in the image of God, that it's by loving in this costly way that you receive an abundance that you can't, you can't ever exhaust, you know? Um, but where the rubber meets the road is like in the solitary confinement in Lubyanka or at Dachau or Auschwitz, wherever Frankel was, um, where it's totally tested. Like what, I think we're in a much more attenuated way. I, I feel this with um, the pandemic and trying to be a priest right now and uh, feeling like, oh man, I kind of preached on this yesterday, like the temptation as Lent comes around again and we're still in this. Like I'll I'll get at this when, when it's back to normal, you know? Like I have an excuse not to be serious right now and to kind of think of myself more. But this is exactly the moment when you need most to get out of your foxhole and run at the enemy, you know, I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it makes me, it's an interesting, I'm just going back to like what you were talking about with, with Frankel there. It, the question that came up in me which I've never thought about before was the, I'm trying to word it. Does responsibility include debt to something? Hmm. Cause it, it's just interesting how those words like play on each other. That I've never really thought about of like, he, he's talking about like, if you owe life something, like, do you have a responsibility to it or are you like indebted to it right and and man i go ahead go ahead i have other stuff but go ahead yeah no no, no. It, it, just to add on that like the more that i think about my skepticism of it or cr critiques of of that phrase um is that it, it does lend itself to some sort of like utilitarianism where you have to earn your value by doing and maintaining these certain responsibilities and relationships that you have um now, I, th I think he had he has a response to that, but I think that may be part of my hesitancy to just jump all in in it. Is it's like, well, does that mean that somebody doesn't have value if they're not upholding the certain responsibilities or or what they quote unquote owe life? Does that mean you need to do certain things in order to receive the value? Um, yeah, so that's just along similar veins it's like okay yeah are you indebted is this something that you have to pay for right. by your actions in order to receive value well it's it's interesting because 
it brought up a few just i don't know stories or thoughts um the i mean the first was man i think it was mother teresa when she was having dinner with like the clintons when they were in in the white house and she was in the in the states and like i think it was hillary clinton the story goes at least um was trying to make conversation with her and ask her um you know why what was the question like mother teresa why do you think there hasn't been like a woman elected as the us president and with without looking up from her soup like mother teresa responded well she's probably been aborted and which i mean like i would have loved to be in that room yeah. honestly just to see the response to that but but there's something to that of like and i i think why that's such just a powerful answer not only is it probably true but there is there's just this like there's just this gap of like someone isn't there who should be that you know it's like this this sense of loss that i think allows it to like maybe you feel it in a particular way when someone can bring the clarity with something like that and so there in that notion there is this like responsibility towards life or existence that it's like no if you're not here then that has like ramifications actual ones for for existence itself like for humanity and and just being um i mean that's and i i don't know this might be a stretch to compare it but like it's just very interesting of how uh peterson will talk so much about responsibility and just talk about like especially the young people that he talks to are just longing to to hear it <coughs> excuse me um you know he, he talk, i think he was telling that to baron when they talked of like he can hear a pin drop when he talks about you know in a room with thousands of people and how what people actually desire is to take responsibility in in their lives they've never heard it but then i was comparing it to the other thing that it made me think of was um, you guys have seen, seen the show True Detective, the season one with McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's that scene between them in one of the later episodes, but it's when McConaughey's character is trying to get like Woody Harrelson's character back kind of like involved in this case and they hate each other. And I think the line from Woody Harrelson is like, you don't get it. If you were drowning, I would throw you a barbell. Like that's how much he <laughs> would refuse to help this guy. And the thing that gets him though is McConaughey tells him like you have a debt. And that like just he can't walk away from it. So I don't know, I've always thought there there's like a there's like a deep psychology to that that I don't really fully understand. Um so I'll, I'll stop there, but that that's just the stuff that was kind of swirling in my head of like, I wonder what Frankel is getting at, but I've also never posed the question to even know how to formulate it of to say that you are responsible to life or to existence, does that necessitate like you owing a debt or what's hmm. the distinction to be made there? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, 
we we all owe a debt we can never pay. It's like to exist is such a gratuitous gift that you could never repay it. But but the small awarenesses of that fact are saving. You know, like they get you through things like concentration camps. But I'm thinking of I think it was Sister Bethany Madonna told the story of a priest in San Francisco who heard that there was somebody uh, about to jump. He was nearby and there was somebody about to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. And he goes there and the person had climbed up like up the uh, suspension or something. It was kind of high up there and about to launch themselves off. I think it was a woman. He climbs up to her uh, and he's afraid of heights and he's getting closer and closer and looking down and getting more and more scared. And, and she starts to counsel him like, you're almost, you're almost there, you know, um, and helps him up. And then he's sitting there with her in this like very precarious position and doesn't really need to say anything to get her to, to come down. She, he just goes, how am I going to get down from here? And she's like, I'll help you. And like they climb down together. And she, you know, has an experience, A, of being loved that much by a stranger, by somebody who like sees her and, and is willing to, to go out that much and risk himself for her. That's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not worthless, but B, I also have this person to help now, you know, and that kind of literally saved her life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, and hopefully this isn't just like a play on on words or, yeah, just like just some rearranging of, of order that makes it sound better. But I wonder if you would say that, because um, it's true when you do the little responsibilities in life um, that you you come to recognize the meaning that's already present there, that the responsibilities hold your feet to the fire to, in a sense, to be, to be not happy, but to be fulfilled. And, and, and I think that is what the Peterson thing is, is so powerful for, or, you know, the time of the pandemic or the stories with, yeah, Frankel, or um, Walter Chiswick, like all they had was the little stuff that was in front of them, but it was their immediate responsibility. And in choosing to participate in their immediate responsibility, the deeper meaning of life was revealed and fulfilled. And and so I, I wonder the distinction there is you're not working in order to repay a debt but in fulfilling your responsibility, it reveals something that really you can't create, but that's given to you, you know, so that so that you're not the one who's making it or, or paying for it. The responsibilities are, in a sense, the path to walk towards meaning. Mm. It's good stuff for early morning. I gotta, gotta start my day. I think, guys. <laughs> <laughs> do not, do not, do not.
Not okay. I like that, Mets. That's very good. I like that question, though, Rob. Yeah, I've never thought about it. I don't even know if that's quite the question, but there's something in it that I'm curious about. There's a debt you can't pay. You know what? I, I thought of the Fleet Foxes song, Helplessness Blues. Uh, the first verse, he, he goes, I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you can see. And now after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. Mm. I've always been struck hmm. by that. It's kind of cynical sounding, but at the same time, I think kind of beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, the idea of just, you know, like, hey, you can just be and, and you're fine, which is, is true to a certain extent. Like, God just loves you exactly as you are. You don't have to do anything to earn his love. Like, I, I, I still hold that to be true, but it does seem to kind of push. Well, it, it tightens the tension of, you know, that, that need for being and doing. Um, yeah. And so I don't know. I don't know. I also, I also think of, uh, actually you brought up von Hildebrand. Was that before we started recording? Or you talked about with the, with the gall? No, I think. I think I was on the recording. Yeah. Um, he talks about this with the liturgy. Like if you, if you think of the liturgy primarily as something you're getting something out of, even if it's very pious, like I'm receiving Jesus's body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's not like I'm just going to hear an inspiring homily. Like you are, you're deeply plugged into the, what, what the mass is all about. That attitude or intention of like, what am, I'm here to get something rather than give something. Um, you will not get what you're looking for. But if you go looking to give something, what you owe God, which is your entire self, then you will get something back. You, you will get what you're looking for as a byproduct. But our intention has to be the like oblation of self. You know, you that's sort of why I think you have to go back to mass over and over and over again to to be conformed to to make the sacrifice our own. The sacrifice has already f saved us. This Dr. Shri had a great talk at Seek about this, that like the cross is not God's punishment because he was looking to get out his anger at our sin and our sin was infinite. So it had to be this huge, big punishment to, to the infinite savior. But rather, like whenever you wrong someone, you do owe them a debt. Um, you know, if you if you make somebody mad or offend them, you have to apologize. You have to do some extra act of love to amend the relationship. And we all knew that, which is like kind of the source of shame and why Adam and Eve hide themselves in the garden. Because we know we can't come back to God without some offering. And that's the human need for sacrifice, which is ubiquitous in all religions. This, even the word religion is religio, to reconnect, because we, we have this primitive experience of alienation from God and from, from creation. Um, and it's that a human being, Jesus in human flesh offers the supreme act of love, which is the way back to the father. Um, it's not that the father is punishing him. It's that the son is, is 
offering his entire self back to the father in our flesh and we then are united to that flesh through the mass uh most especially in communion but in the offering too we we that sacrifice now can become ours you know but if we approach it with like i want my i want my eucharist you know rather than i like this is this is my way of of being crucified too so that i may receive the fullness of life with god then you won't even get what you're looking for you know like he what even what you have will be taken from you um man i would yeah i'm interested in that be, i'm i would be interested but the thing with frankel though is that he's jewish and right. so like i wonder how he would it's not like what he's saying here i mean it's beautiful i'm in for it you know it's just interesting to think about the other thing when you say were you talking about was that when you said hillebrand there was that the were you talking about the guy who was rector of mundelein no 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 that's Monsignor okay, so, reynold hillebrand that's Hillen. right okay yeah no Got Dietrich it. von hildebrand the guy who uh de gaulle smuggled into Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's the same guy. Mm -hmm. Got it. All right, guys. Well, I'm glad we uh, got back together. Yeah. After the band broke mm -hmm. up for a little bit, a lot of we we just won't talk about how the, we got into a feud. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. a big falling out. Big. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just we Something to do with Cheerios. Just, just leave it at that. Took my Cheerios. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. Carry on. Roger that. Y'all have a good day. You too. We'll get another one on the calendar in like a month or two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love you guys. See you up. Peace. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.